Please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 22. I'm going to read Psalm 22 as if it were two songs or two sections. As you can look at the back of the handout that's in front of you, you can follow along there if you don't have a Bible. It's printed. And what you'll see is that this is a a single song, but it's really made up of two parts. And so I want to read the whole thing throughout our time, but I want us to just take each part one at a time. It's a longer psalm, and I want to do the first 21 verses and consider some things about the song of silence and separation. And then we want to then read the second half of the psalm, starting in verse 22, the song of success and deliverance and salvation. Some people call Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 the Easter songs. Psalm 22 is the song that has been used almost more than any other place in the Old Testament to describe the meaning of Jesus' death. So we find ourselves in the middle of November here in 2021 celebrating Good Friday if you want to think of it that way. Psalm 22 is a song about the death of Jesus. Psalm 23, which Lord willing in two weeks we will cover as a church, Psalm 23 is very much about the hope that's given in the valley of the shadow of death. And as a spoiler alert, that hope is resurrection. So come in two weeks and learn more about one of our favorite of all psalms, Psalm 23, and the resurrection hope of Jesus. And then Easter brings about the resurrection of the dead of Jesus, and we celebrate that every year. But one thing that I've tried to uh, point out is that that's not the end of the story, is it? Jesus then ascended to heaven, and Psalm 24 is an ascension psalm, and it's one of the psalms that's been used on Ascension Day for thousands of years for Christians. So in light of that, think of this little trilogy, this three-set psalms, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. We're entitling this whole sermon series, The Songs of Our Savior, because they're about him, they are sung by him, and we want to especially think about that today. In fact, look at the top of your handout, the backside. Big idea. Jesus sang the song of silence, Psalm 22, verse 1 to 21, so that you and I could sing, and let me just add, with him, the song of salvation. Jesus sang the song of silence so that you and I, together with him, can sing the song of salvation. I think that's just one simple way to think about Psalm 22. He sang these words. He became these words. And so now let's read the first song. The song of silence, the song of separation. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, 
from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And that, I believe, is the end of the first section. And you will see a significant contrast and change of tone starting in verse 22. So let's pause there. Let's consider this first half of Psalm 22 that I'm calling the song of silence and separation. Can you see why that would be a fitting title? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far, far from my words. So I'm speaking, I'm crying day and night, but I am getting no relief. You are not there. You are not listening. There's this contrast between near and far throughout the psalm. He's saying in the first two verses how far God feels to him. And then notice verses 3, 4, and 5. The way that he reminds himself of the way that God's character has proven itself faithful in the past. He's acknowledging that part of his problem is his theology. He knows how good God is. You ever put it that way? Sometimes your theology about the goodness of God is the very problem that you're having. 
trusting the goodness of God when apparently he seems so far and distant. You know that God hears you, but it doesn't seem like he is. And that's what's going on in these first two stanzas. Verses one and two, God, you're far, but I know that you've been near in the past. Then look at verses six, seven, and eight, another stanza. Notice the but there. I know that you've done this with the fathers in the past. They have trusted you and you've delivered them. But here's what I'm like. I'm a worm. I'm not even a man. I am being scorned and shamed and mocked. People are making jokes at me. They're wagging their heads. And they're saying, look at him and his trust in the Lord. And then he comes back to the idea, but, but look, this is what you're like, God. I know who you are. I know that theologically on paper, I know the right answer. You are he who took me from the womb. You, you're the one that gave me trust even from the very moments of my birth. So notice verse 11. This is why I said the nearness and the farness comparison. It's highlighted again. Be not far from me. Trouble is near, not your presence. I see trouble close by, and you, God, you seem far away. You're not helping. I'm asking for help, but I'm getting no help. And then he goes on. In the next stanza, he starts talking about these wild animals, and in our modern society, we may not understand the threat of lions and big horned wild oxen and these bulls of Bashan. But they're all poetically metaphors describing just the utter terrible pain of the suffering that you and I know all too well. His strength is dried up. His tongue, his mouth is parched. It's sticking to his jaws. He's thirsty. And he's saying that he's surrounded and encircled. Who's near? Not God, verse 16. Dogs. By the way, Some of you are dog lovers. In this day when he's writing this, most dogs weren't pets. So this is like wild dogs with rabies that go around and bite people. Think that when you hear dogs. They were not beloved animals or man's best friend. That's that's something you need to make sense of this passage. Dogs encompass me, contrasted with companies of evildoers encircling around me. Notice the way that his nakedness is described in verse 18, that they've divided up my garments and cast lots for my clothing. I'm being exposed and shamed and embarrassed. And then notice the near and far one more time. Lord, do not be so far away. There's this massive separation between my theology of you saying that you will be near and my reality, which is you seem so far. So would you not be so far away? Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me. Rescue me. Our main idea here is that Jesus sang these words and knew them way more than you and I could ever imagine. Jesus sang this song of silence. I don't think just when he died on the cross. Look at verse 1 one more time. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, 
You guys know that tune, The Doe of the Dawn? Is that one on your Spotify playlist? Oh yeah, Doe of the Dawn. Okay, I got it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, I have no idea what this tune is. No one does. I've studied this. Do your homework. If you find it, maybe we'll sing it sometime. The point is that this was sung to the choir master for public singing. And this was written either to or by or for David, who was 1,500 years prior to Jesus. So here's my point. For many centuries, Jewish men and women, boys and girls, would gather together for worship, and they would sing the Psalms. We just sang, How Firm a Foundation, and It Is Well With My Soul, songs that many of you have sang hundreds of times that many of you could sing by memory. And that's the point. Jesus would have sang Psalm 22 again and again and again that he had it memorized. And we know that because in Matthew 27, when he has no book in front of him, no scroll to open because his hands are pierced to a cross, he from memory cites, recites Psalm 22 verse 1. Many people want to argue and suggest, and I think it's a good suggestion, He is not just saying that one line. He is telling us that he is singing as he suffers. Jesus sings as he suffers. He sings the Psalms. Isn't that breathtaking? Remarkable? Convicting. Do you sing when you suffer? When you suffer and grieve... And God seems like he is not listening. I wonder how quickly you get silent because of God's apparent silence. Oh, the Psalms, if they're teaching us anything in this sermon series, is that we should do the exact opposite. We will find hope, healing, and the strength to carry on week by week and day by day by speaking to God in our pain and telling him our pain, maybe even singing our pain. In fact, I would suggest that because of the corporate congregational nature of both the introduction and what we will see in the next half of this psalm, look at verse 22. Notice the way it starts out with a declaration of being with the brothers in the midst of the congregation. There is a corporate nature to this individual lament. And on the basis of that, I would suggest to you that some of you, when you suffer, your temptation will be to isolate and get quiet and not seek community. I want to just pastorally encourage you to do the opposite. Come to church. I know this may seem simple and basic or preaching to the choir kind of thing because here you are. But maybe some of you aren't suffering right now. And that's coming next week. And then you're going to think, maybe I should skip church. And let me very practically say to you that sometimes what you need to do is just come, and even if you can't say a word, even if you can't sing a song, let the congregation sing for you. Let them pray for you. When David was up here just a minute ago, he prayed. And sometimes I have been in those moments very recently where I'm like, I don't even know what to pray. And leaning on other people to pray for you 
so that you can pray with them, so you can speak and sing and turn to God in your suffering. Brothers and sisters, very practically, just make it as a default commitment, not as this slap you on the wrist, come to church every week for the good of your soul. Get into the habit of singing in your suffering by just coming to church every week because some weeks you will be rejoicing with those who rejoice and happy and some weeks it will be so difficult to get out of bed and come to church. But if you just automate, this is just what we do, I promise that the Lord will meet you in that place the way he has met this psalmist. And you can honestly say to God exactly what you're thinking. One of the sweet teaching practical lessons for each of us is that this psalm is primarily in this first half a song about silence and separation and there's very little asking of anything. You see it in verse 11, I mentioned it, be not far from me. That's a, that's a request. And then look at the last request in verse the, the last stanza, verse 19. Be not far off, O Lord. Help, come quickly, deliver. The rest of it, other than those little excerpts of request, are God, here's what I think right now in my pain. And it's such an instructive point for so many of us. That's why I mentioned that healing can come through your words and out of the mouth as we confess not just sin, but as we confess our suffering. This is not about just you coming and doing a therapy session with Pastor Phil. You could do that. That might be helpful. I don't know if I have time for therapy sessions with every single one of you all week, but that is part of what discipleship in the local church is about. Sharing, talking, speaking to one another. And some of you need to speak some of these things that are inside and express them out to God in prayer and to one another. But at the bare minimum, coming to church corporate worship and singing the song of silence and being honest about what it feels like. We're not being driven by our emotions. They don't dictate, but being honest about them is entirely appropriate. So have you learned the lesson to sing like Jesus does, to sing the song of silence? He did. You're going to hear more about this next week, Lord willing, from Pastor Paul Alexander. He's a good friend of mine. And I'll be out of town for my mother's memorial service. And he will be preaching Matthew 27. And so we'll have more time to consider this. But for now, just to bring the point very clearly home, consider these comparisons from Matthew 27 and Psalm 22. Psalm 22 verse 18 says, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Matthew 27, 35 says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them and cast lots. Psalm 22, verse seven says, all who see me mock me and they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. Matthew 27, 39 says that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, people were passing by, deriding him and wagging their heads. Psalm 22, verse 8, specifically says that as they were mocking Jesus, they said, He trusts in the Lord. Let him, the Lord, deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43 says, He trusts in God. Let God deliver Jesus now. If God desires him, he said, I am the Son of God. 
And then the one that most of you probably have heard, the first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And at the ninth hour, as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is an Aramaic translation of Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think Matthew's trying to tell us something as he records the death of Jesus? Jesus sang this psalm as he hung on the cross. He did not just say and sing this song, he experienced what this song of silence is about in a way that David and every child and Israelite afterwards never experienced. Utter silence and separation from God. Andrew Peterson is a modern day songwriter. He wrote a song fitly titled, The Silence of God. And I want to just share, to illustrate the point, conclude this first part, a few lines. He writes, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he is bleeding for comfort from thy staff and from thy rod, but heaven's only answer is the silence of God. And then in the second part of the song, he says, And there he is kneeling in the garden, as silent as a stone. His friends are all sleeping, and he's weeping all alone. There, the man of sorrows, he never forgot. What sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought? So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. In the holy, lonesome echo of the silence of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus sang the song of silence, experienced it to its every detail, so that you and I could sing with him this beautiful song of salvation. I think sometimes it's lost on us that Psalm 22 is as long as it is. It's deep, it's dark, but it is a glorious bright light. Starting in verse 22, let's read it. The song of success, the song of salvation. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, Praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations.
All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I told you the second half is really good. Doesn't it change? You ever read through the Psalms and think David's crying a lot? God, my mother! And then like the next moment he's like, yay! This Psalm is both in one. The first 21 verses, he's just shouting and crying and screaming and complaining. And I think in a healthy, biblical, appropriate way, as I'm encouraging you to do in your pain and suffering. But in another sense, notice that the psalm doesn't end in verse 21. And that's so often the case. I'm not saying that for all 150 psalms, but so often you read the psalms and know how matter dark and bleak the reality that is being described in these psalms, they end in hope. What a wonderful thing to teach us. We could be raw and honest and transparent about what's really going on. But if we're doing that in discipleship relationships, on a Sunday service, or in our prayers to the Lord, I would strongly encourage you to take this pattern. Don't just end with this fist shaking, I'm so upset with you, God. You could say that in, again, a healthy, biblical, appropriate way. This is how I'm feeling, God. But the Psalms teach us repeatedly. That prayers of pain lead us to trust the God who takes away our pain ultimately and finally through the Lord Jesus as we're seeing. He sang the song of silence so that you and I could sing with him in the congregation a song of praise, a song of salvation. And that's where Psalm 22 is going because that's where the death of Jesus is going. Through the suffering, not around it, not under it, not over it, through the suffering God saves. Notice our psalm. We begin the beginning of the psalm by saying, God, you're not listening to me. You feel so far away. But in this second half, this song of salvation, notice very specifically the description here of saying, God does hear. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. Definitively proclaiming to you that when you cry to him, he hears. You can feel like God is not listening, but the reality is that that is only an apparent feeling. Truth from God's word is that he did hear all the time. And the reason we can know that is because there is one who was praying and God did not respond Complete and utter darkness fell upon Jesus. And because of Jesus' singing this song, we can now know without any questions that God's silence to Jesus means that he is turning his ear to you and me. He is not hidden. His face is not turned away. In fact, all the ends of the earth will praise this God who listens and hears. And I love that last line because the beginning of the psalm reminds us of one of the words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. It 
is finished is another word that he says on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the darkness of Jesus' death, and then right before he breathed his last, John's gospel tells us he cried out one Greek word, it's finished. Look at the last line of our psalm. People that aren't even born yet are going to be able to declare, he did it. God did it. He achieved salvation and deliverance for his people, not just his people, but all peoples of the earth. What a great missions psalm, by the way. You could do like a whole missions conference from Psalm 22, how the death of Jesus and Jesus' experiencing the silence of God leads to the whole nations, all of the peoples of the world, hearing about the goodness of our God. So know that Jesus sang both songs. First, as he hung on the cross, he sang the song of silence. But as he was risen from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and he brought to the Father in his ascended state you and me with him. He was representing all of humanity in his human body when he went to heaven. And by doing so, he says he will sing. This is why I had David read for us Hebrews chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn back there. I'm going to just point out a couple things from Hebrews 2 to show you that Jesus sang the song of silence and the song of salvation. Jesus sings both halves of Psalm 22 according to the New Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and following. For it was fitting that he, Jesus for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Isn't that what I just said? Something about Jesus not going around or under or over suffering, but through it. And because he went through suffering, he perfected for us salvation. And I love this Greek word, founder. You see that in verse 10? You could circle it. It's, it's pronounced in Greek, archegos. Arche means first. And the second half of the verb or, or noun is to talk about somebody who goes. So the one who goes first is very cumbersome way of explaining that word. One who goes first. Sometimes it's translated like somebody who's blazing the trail, clearing the path, making a way for you and for me to come behind and follow. You see what's happening? Jesus dies on the cross. He's clearing a path. He's making a way. He's saying, I'll go through the dark valley of death before you and me so that we can come behind him and follow in his resurrection. It was fitting then that Jesus would be the one who then is the founder of our salvation to perfect us through death, through suffering. Verse 11, for he sanctifies, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. This is why we're reading this. Because verse 12 quotes Psalm 22, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Look back at verse 11 very closely. 
This is why Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you a brother or sister. He became a human so that he could be our brother and our leader and the one who blazes the trail and sets the path for you and me to come behind and follow so that he could say, or we could say more specifically, so that he could sing Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I think when you put the whole package together, Jesus died on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then was buried into a tomb, and for three days, he stayed dead and then was risen. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead so that we would have resurrection hope to know that Jesus Christ would ascend to heaven and he would declare your name, our names, to the Father and say, she's with me. I'm not ashamed of her. Well, she's done a lot of bad things. She's with me. He is not ashamed of you. Preach that to yourself tomorrow morning after a bad night. A bad night of sin, of humiliation, of shame. I'm a pastor. You're a pastor. I know how often you all struggle with guilt and shame. Not living up to mom and dad's expectations. Feeling like all the people on Instagram are doing way better than you are. Constant guilt plagues all of us in the church and out of the church. How are you going to deal with that? I say start with Hebrews 2 and it's quoting of Psalm 22. Start with verse 11 and 12. Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. But does he know everything that I've done? Oh, that and much more. He's known every thought since you were born, every deed that you have done, and every deed that you should have done that you failed to do. And he stands before the Father singing Psalm 22, a song of salvation, and declaring, Father, I am not ashamed of these brothers and sisters. They're mine. I bought them with my blood. I experienced your silence on the cross so that I could come and stand before you right now. I hope and pray that that breathes life and hope into you this morning. Maybe another week could go by and you can continue to have hope that even if it seems so dark and God seems so far, you know that Christ is near the Father representing you, singing a song of salvation. On Wednesday night, we've been studying the book of Genesis and we just finished chapter 2 after almost 40 weeks we're moving along real fast. And we spent a whole week talking about the last verse of chapter 2. They were naked and they were unashamed. It's the only time in the whole Bible where nakedness is positive. Every other time, it's about shame, and embarrassment, poverty. And I said then, and I'm saying now, because of Psalm 22 and Jesus' clothes being ripped off of him and played a game in front of him, mocking him and hanging naked in front of a whole crowd of people as they wagged their heads at him and shouted insults. Because of him experiencing the most 
humiliating shame that you and I could ever imagine. Physically, you can just see the shame by imagining the scene. But what we talked about on Wednesday was that, oh, that physical shame of feeling exposed, wanting to cover up and hide, is just a physical picture of the deeper, intimate reality that you and I know all too well. Embarrassment, disappointment, shame. And they're linked all through the scriptures. And the short biblical theology of Genesis 2, naked and unashamed, then the next thing that happens after the eating of the fruit in Genesis 3 is they knew their shame and nakedness. They knew it. And so how are we going to resolve that awful knowing? I know this too well. And the answer is Jesus bore our shame and our nakedness, literally, on the cross so that he could come before the Father and sing Psalm 22, I'm not ashamed of them. If you're here as a Christian, I pray that this would strengthen your faith. He hears. He listens. If you're not a Christian, there's a way to deal with your shame and guilt. And it's only through that one path that Jesus blazed, Jesus Christ. I pray you put your trust in him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come now in the name of Jesus, the priest that we have who sympathizes with us because he suffered in every way that we have. And we want to acknowledge that if he says he's with us, well, then we are with him. We want to hitch our wagon to that donkey. We want our righteousness to be the righteousness of Jesus. We know that our righteousness is not enough and we confess that we are sinners. And so we praise you now as an assembly of people made up from various nations coming together here on a Sunday in the Chicagoland area. What a beautiful foretaste and picture of this heavenly congregation that Jesus has already begun singing at. And I want to pray that by the power of your spirit, We will continue to sing, even in our suffering. We will continue to worship, be faithful to be with your people, even when the days are dark and you feel far away. May today be a day that we remember. It is just an apparent feeling of farness. and an apparent silence, Jesus Christ is the only one who really experienced separation and silence. And so we want to ask that we will remember the cross and praise you for all that you have done. As Psalm 22 concludes, we conclude this prayer time. We praise you for doing it. He has done it. Hallelujah and amen. Amen.